Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. This morning reading is taken from Psalms 77. Psalms 77. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds, your ways, God are holy. What God is as great as our God. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeem your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The water saw you, God. The water saw you and breathed. The very depth of convulse, the clouds poured down water, the heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of our Lord. Friends, as an important part of our great tradition, we will come to the Apostle Creed. Please stand uh, and join me as we recite the Apostle Creed. At page 171. 171. Together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he was from the dead. He descended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, 
the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Morning, everyone. I have the privilege of uh, preaching uh, every day this week in chapel. I'm looking forward to it. It's a bit of a Clayton's series. I'm preaching from a psalm today. And because I'm teaching 1 Corinthians, I'm going to preach a couple of passages from 1 Corinthians uh, the other days. They're appropriate to those days, so don't, don't think badly of me. Um, it's, it was, it's always great to remember what the college is named after or who the college is named after. Some colleges are named after business people who uh, donated to the college, not, not thinking of anyone in particular. But ours is uh, named after someone who obviously is a great inspiration. Uh, very sobering to sing that song, wasn't it? And uh, I love it at graduation when students take their photo in front of uh, his last words. Where cer certainly we praise God for Nicholas Ridley. Uh, the, uh, I've got a little handout for you. So you can just look at the handout if you like or follow in your own Bible. So we're looking at Psalm 77, how to pray when you feel discouraged. Uh, the superscription to this Psalm uh, is not on the handout, but it sets the scene for the Psalm and for my exposition. So it says, for the director of music, for Jeduthun of Asaph, a Psalm. So Jeduthun's the beneficiary of the Psalm and Asaph wrote it for him. And so today I'm channeling Asaph and seeking to encourage all the Jeduthans and Jeduthenias in the room. Um, it's a psalm for those in distress. It's a pretty sobering psalm, really, isn't it? As we read it through, I'm sure you noticed. Uh, for someone needing comfort, as we saw in verse 2, uh, or encouragement, as I put it more mildly. So are you feeling discouraged, is my question this morning. Um, well, our country's riven with division. There's unremitting violence in Israel and Palestine. The church is in decline. There are numerous stories of church leaders behaving badly. It's harder than ever to be a faithful Christian. The exams are next week. <laughs> so if you're not feeling discouraged, you're not paying attention. Um, of course, this is not the whole story, thankfully. Um, there's myriad stories of, uh, that don't hit the headlines and they're the behaviors and conduct of ordinary Christians uh, behaving in ways that recall Philippians 4. Noble, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. And they're the ones I try and concentrate on and think about rather than the big uh, cherry-picked headlines from the uh, hundreds of millions of Christians around the world. I, I, I recommend it. Um, this is not the whole story for us too either because if not in the West, the church is growing around the world in Asia and Africa. And uh, if not in the white West, the church in Australia is in, among ethnic communities, immigrant communities, in many cases is growing. The Iranian Persian community is an enormous encouragement. If you don't know about those stories, uh, talk to some of our students uh, when they're here. And hopefully you've had answers to prayer that you remember and can look back on uh, with gratitude, even if in the midst of where you are now, um, you feel like you feel uh, discouraged to some extent. Uh, maybe you're praying in, in, in terms of discouragement. There are some things I've been praying for for a long time that are quite discouraging. Um, and I don't know if you're in that boat, but uh, the salvation of family and friends, uh, serious health and chronic health issues, uh, relationship challenges, ministry struggles, uh, financial pressures, 
And these um, are desires we bring to God and we just feel like he's not answering us. So that's Jeduthun's experience. He just feels like uh, the door's been shut. Uh, so Psalm 77 is really a great psalm because it teaches us how to pray when you feel discouraged. It doesn't teach you how to get an answer. So don't, I don't want to raise expectations here. So it's not uh, here's the secret to getting your prayers answered. It's rather in the meantime, this is what uh, will uh, keep you uh, encouraged and going. So it's about the frustration we feel when God doesn't answer our prayers. And certainly unanswered prayer when we're in distress, to use a word from the psalm, can lead us to, go, to doubt God's love and attention. Does God even notice what's happening for me? Does he really love me? Is he really powerful? And uh, so the question is, where should we, we look to find encouragement and reassurance as we wait on the Lord? That's what's the, the guts of Psalm uh, 77. Um, as the handout says, there are four uh, main points I think the psalm reveals. Don't look ahead. No cheating. And, uh, and, and my approach to the psalm, as with all psalms, is to just read it many times slowly, like do your study, but uh, to, to kind of marinate in its imagery and to use your imagination uh, to feel the psalm as well as to understand it. So if we do that with the opening verses, the first point, I think, is that sometimes God can seem aloof um, or... Uh, um, uh, absent even. Verse 1, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. So Hebrew poetry uh, is uh, characterised by what we call parallelism. So the first line is completed, contrasted or rephrases the other way around. The second line does that with the first line. So that's a familiar thing I'm sure you've noticed uh, in the Psalms. And uh, in this case, there's very little change. You just uh, have to hear replacing for help. So you can just sense the way the lines drip with frustration and impatience. Why isn't God answering me? When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out my untiring hands and I would not be comforted. In distress, more literally in Hebrew, is in the day of my trouble. And he prays with untiring hands. The situation lays so heavily upon him that he prays insistently with great intensity. And comfort's not enough. He wants resolution. He wants deliverance to be sent by God. And at night, this is all happening. I don't know about you, but at night's a kind of a difficult time, isn't it, when you start to think about your problems. Uh, Nat and I tend to catastrophize at night. And so Nat says to me, don't listen to anything I say after 9 p.m. Um, and I checked if she minded me saying that. Uh, she doesn't. So, uh, and, and, and I think it's true. At night is a terrible time to think about your troubles. And it, I'd love to do a biblical theology of bed and night in, in the Bible because it, it treats these things so helpfully. At night, I stretched out untiring hands and would not be comforted. And night turns up again, verse four, you'll see, we'll get there in a minute, but uh, eyes, kept my eyes from closing, couldn't sleep. And verse six, um, uh, I remembered my songs in the night. Uh, some of my Facebook friends suffer from insomnia, seeing I've got over 4,000, they suffer from everything basically. <laughs> so, uh, and, and one of them uh, suffers from insomnia on occasion. And I remember at one point out of frustration, 
um, he, he wrote, uh, uh, for the people who don't suffer from insomnia, don't you have any thoughts? <laughs> that was Mike, actually. <laughs> Um, and uh, in verse 3, it says, I remembered you, uh, God, and I groaned. And the word for groaning here is, the con- is used in other contexts in the psalm, Psalm 46, verse 3, the constant sound of the roaring sea. So this isn't the psalmist erupting in praise and thanks. This is the psalmist groaning um, and not feeling content and reassured. And sometimes you hear people say, um, that, you know, if you're suffering anxiety or feeling discouraged, you should meditate. Yep. Well, it didn't work here. He meditated and his spirit grew faint. He feels overwhelmed, disheartened, despairing. So twice he cries out to God, experiences distress, he grows and groans faint. He's waiting for a miracle. Uh, so I'm wondering, friends, has this ever been your experience in prayer? I hope not. But at some point, I'm sure it will be, given the fact that we live under the sun. Even if your cultural background leads to a less extreme response, I mean, my Austrian roots, uh, we don't like to show emotion uh, at all. We're much too dignified for such things. Um, But, uh, um, and, and there are some experiences in our lives, and I'm sure this is true of each of us at different points, where God seems present and powerful, We feel elated, full of faith, trust and hope. And sometimes in chapel, I feel like that when a a particular song is sung or I'm thinking about something, bursting with praise, even tears of joy, you kind of glimpse heaven. And this will differ. Your response is going to differ according to your personality and cultural background. Um, And some forms of Christianity are better at this than others, I think. So if, if that's your experience, Uh, It's like a door's been opened to heaven and you should be thankful. But at other times, we might be in the day of trouble, in distress, uh, prolonged hardship, and we need comfort. And God may even feel absent or seem like he's forgotten about us. I always look forward to the summers because I read novels and my favourite novelists uh, have strong points in one thing or another. So I love Tim Winton and uh, uh, Marilyn Robinson. I actually have a theory I've never heard anyone else say, but I don't, I don't, when it comes to fiction, I don't think plot's that important. It's all about character. Um, you, you've got to really identify with the character and uh, um, you like them or you don't like them and you travel with them, you feel like what's happening to them is important. Um, some other novelists, uh, Tolkien I think this is true of, is brilliant, well, he's got great plots as well and good characters, but what he adds is descriptive language. I mean, he can describe a forest for 20 pages uh, if you've ever tried to read the long ones. Um, um, And uh, one of the descriptions that kind of stays with me relates to to what we're talking about. It's it's in um, The Hobbit when Bilbo Baggins and the 13 dwarves, Dwayland, Balin, Killy, Philly, etc., they've had this terrible trip to get to the treasure and the dragons guarding the treasure, of course, and they come finally to the mountain. Do you remember what happens? They can't find the door. It's just terrible. Oh, I just feel it now. You know, they're just searching for that door and, and poor old Bilbo Baggins, he's so brave and hungry. I'm certainly identify with the latter. And uh, um, the, the door, dwarves are turning against him. And I think that that's kind of how it feels for us. The door sometimes to God's throne feels like it's been closed and we can't get in anymore. 
God seems aloof, maybe even missing. Sometimes we ask God for something um, and, uh, and it's not polite and routine, it's more urgent. And that's what we see here in this psalm. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. We pray rather in praying confidently, we pray in desperation and doubt. We might feel discouraged by God's apparent inaction. And then praying that uh, when God seems aloof, uh, worse still, God's absent, absence might lead us to doubt his goodness. This is the fundamental attribute of God, his holiness and love and goodness. And uh, in point two on your handout, sometimes we doubt God's love and compassion. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. God's apparent indifference prevents him from sleeping. It also strikes him dumb. Rather than bursting with praise, he's lost for words. Uh, in my experience, when you're lost for words, that's a bad place to be. It's kind of a personality thing. So uh, this is the generalisation, of course, but extroverts have a lot of things, a lot to say, and introverts, sensibly, in many cases, don't have as much to say. Uh, Toby and I are extroverts, and, and that's um, kind of in there, but not, not really an extrovert, not an introvert. So the uh, lockdowns were a disaster in our house. I need an audience and I have about 30,000 words a day that I have to get out one way or another. And same with Toby, and that was our only audience. <laughs> so imagine what that was like. It was not pretty. But certainly, occasionally, I am struck dumb. I'll come home and it's been a really difficult day or something's weighing on me and I just answer monosyllabically like a teenager talking to their parents. And that's the, the psalmist's plight here. Uh, he's lost for words, too troubled to speak. So he tries to recall times past when God was at work, when he celebrated with songs in the night instead of tossing and turning all night. I thought about the former days, verse 5. The years of long ago, I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked. So he kind of recalls a happier past, good idea. But sadly, that's not his experience now, and his meditation doesn't end well. In fact, the heart of his distress is doubting God's faithfulness. And he poses six pained questions in, uh, where is it, verses uh, seven to nine. You see that? Uh, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favour again? Has his unfailing love vanished? forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? I think if you want to feel the force, you could reverse these. So basically what he's saying, Lord, show me your favour, love, mercy, compassion. Uh, for someone who's lost for words, he's uh, got uh, pretty good vocabulary, actually. So imagine what he's like in a better mood. Um, he could write really well, I'm sure. Um, uh, but I, I think just digging into these briefly, I mean, uh, in verse 8, it's translated differently, but unfailing loves the Hebrew word chesed, which many of you will know. It's one of the few Hebrew words you could probably say in church without looking like a jerk. Um, and, and basically, it's, it's about God's loyal, uh, his loyal love, his faithful covenanted love. It's the same word, it's sometimes translated just love, sometimes loving kindness. Loving kindness is a bit old fashioned, but it's probably the one 
uh, some of us would be most familiar with. So Psalm 23 verse 6 says, Surely goodness and chesed, or loving kindness, God's unfailing love, will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that great about the Psalms? You get both, you get every human emotion in the Psalms. It's like an anatomy of the soul. Uh, that was the church father, not me. So um, what we have here, rather than being confident of God's loving kindness, his unfailing love, following him all the days of my life, he asks, where is it? Now, these are rhetorical questions, of course, so you always the answer's obvious. It's not that obvious here. What's the answer? Is it yes, God has deserted me? Or is it no? I think the answer is surely not. Surely not uh, has God's unfailing love vanished forever. And I think this is the trick about reading these Psalms. Um, they're, they're not saying that this is a prayer of unbelief. This is actually a prayer of belief. The reason he keeps praying is because he does believe in God's character. Yep. And he says, uh, but, but he's honest about it and says, look, you, you're like this. How come it's not happening for me? So it's actually a prayer of strong faith rather than uh, weak faith, these psalms of lament. Once a year, I get the great privilege of going to the US uh, for a conference. And of course, the whole business of uh, um, jet lag is hanging over you. So when I arrive, in the past I would do this, now I'd have different ways of doing it. You're always wondering, oh my goodness, am I going to wake up too late? I'm actually presenting a paper or I'm going to miss the free breakfast. And so you, there's a couple of things you can do. You can uh, uh, just set an alarm on your phone or whatever, or you can ask uh, the concierge downstairs to give you a wake-up call. Anyone, that's an old-fashioned thing to do, I'm sure. Uh, my experience actually is I think to myself, oh, I don't want to sleep too long. And I'll wake up and I think, oh, that was a great, I feel so rested. Oh, it's 2 a.m. Uh, so <laughs> it's not a great feeling. Uh, but I think Psalm 77 is a wake-up call. If you're not discouraged now, then at some point in your life you will be. And it's a wake-up call to be prepared for those moments. Uh, it's very easy as Christians to kind of put a glaze on our lives and we always turn up at church, especially in the past, these days are people a bit sloppier, but you'd be well-dressed and scrubbed up, yep, and uh, you might fight all the way to church, then you get out of the car and smile. <laughs> so, uh, but the truth is all of us have things like this happening at different points and moments of real discouragement. So the psalm offers two things when you feel discouraged, God seems absent and you doubt his love. So the first, uh, if you turn the page now, you're allowed to turn over is uh, we should remember the deeds and character of God. Then I thought, to this I will appeal. What's he appealing for? I think he's appealing for help and patient trust, to settle his spirit, to help him sleep, so he's not lost for words. Yep. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. So he remembers God's past faithfulness. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles. See, finally he gets a miracle of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. So God's work and his acts of deliverance, both then and now or more recently for him. He remembers what God has done to encourage him in the present. I think that's a great thing to do. 
Reminds me of the lepers in uh, Luke 17. Only one came back and said thank you uh, to, to the Lord Jesus for healing them. And that's what we need to do. We need to remember those times when God has been good to us in the past and answered our prayers. There's a number of ways to do this. Um, there are certain psalms that are especially helpful and important to me because I kind of look to them in a time of difficulty and um, the Lord turned things around. Psalm 40, Psalm 64, really important for me. Um, and then I asked my class to help me prepare the sermon this morning. And uh, uh, three things, I said, you know, what do you have in your life as ways of remembering, to use the language of our psalm, the deeds of the Lord? And it was very interesting. Some, some person had uh, uh, dates in their diary, which were significant answers to prayer in the past that came up as anniversaries each year. Another person carries a US dollar bill, just reminding them of uh, the uh, time in America when uh, God uh, was gracious to them. Another person looks at the birds and uh, remembers certain things about what God has done. And I think uh, the Bible has this as a pattern uh, basically, uh, the pattern is that um, they use piles of rocks. You ever notice that? So, for example, in Genesis 28, Jacob's on the run from his uh, brother Esau, stops to rest for the night, uses a rock as a pillow. Don't recommend that, actually, but that's what he did. I suppose it's better than lying flat. And when he woke up, he made a pile of rocks and proclaimed they represented the visitation of God in his life and vowed to return there to meet with God in the future. So he had that, you know, when he passed the pile of rocks... I remember that. Uh, Joshua had the leaders of Israel carry rocks out of the Jordan River, pile them on the shore. And then when the next generation asked, what's this pile of rocks about? They could tell them, this is where the Lord brought us across the Jordan on dry land. Yep. So friends, really try and find a pile of rocks in your life that can help you to remember when God has been uh, evident and manifest and answered your prayers. Uh, what do we learn about God from his actions? That's his faithfulness. Well, we learn that God's ways are holy, verse 13. And then the great question, what God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the people. So this is the big theme of the Psalter, isn't it? The incomparability of God. And it's interesting, the psalmist Asaph's concerned about Jeduthun that he might turn to idols in the midst of his discouragement. And that's a temptation for us. Not Baal and Egypt, but uh, maybe uh, pleasure or uh, um, uh, food or financial security. These other gods that could replace the true and living God. What God is as great as our God? Um, he needed a prayer and prayed for a miracle. And he remembers that God does miracles. So that encourages him to keep going as well. Verse 15, with your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. So we should remember when we feel discouraged in prayer, um, who God is, what God has done, not just recently, uh, not in the past, but also recently. But interestingly, he does then focus in the rest of the psalm on a particular event that should encourage him. And you can see it very clearly. We should remember God's great work of redemption, uh, which guarantees God's attentive presence, love and compassion. So in verses uh, 16 to 20, you'll get a description. It's pretty clear of the Exodus. Yep. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. 
the very depths were convulsed, and so on. So when did the waters see God? Uh, we know, don't we? Uh, when the parting of the sea and God redeemed his people from slavery. So Asaph describes the great deliverance from Egypt when God redeemed his people from slavery and adopted them as his children. So notice two things. Firstly, the exodus was not done at arm's length. This is not just something that happened and they were grateful. Notice all the uh, second person pronouns. The waters saw you. The waters saw you, your thunder, your lightning, your path, your way. And then beautifully in verse 20, you led your people as a flock. So he takes it very personally that that redemption was for him by God himself. And then verse 20, the other thing to notice is the not just God's power is displayed in the Exodus, but God's love because he led his people like a flock. Yep, like a flock of sheep, beautiful simile. Um, it'd be great if they had some way of remembering the Exodus. They did. It's called the Passover. And they would do it every year, wouldn't they? So what are we going to remember? We could remember the Exodus because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, our fathers. So we're part of that story too. But we also have our own uh, great work of redemption to remember, namely the cross. Yep. And uh, it also assures us of God's power and love. So Romans 8 is the other reading. Did we have it? We didn't really do it, did we? Didn't have time. That's fine. Uh, Romans 8 uh, is the place to look for that where, where the uh, apostle says, what shall we say in response? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? When we doubt God's power and love, we look back or should I say, we look back at the cross. And that's what assures us. Uh, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The proof of God's love isn't necessarily what he does in my life. It's what he did for me in the past. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, was a, a German church leader and Marte ended up in prison. You know, most of you will know the story. And they smuggled in and out his letters and papers uh, from prison. He was, near the end, it was very clear he was going to be executed, uh, like our Nicholas Ridley. And this is what he said. It's in fact more important for us to know what God did to Israel and in God's son, Jesus Christ, than to discover what God intends for us today. The fact that Jesus Christ died is more important than the fact that I will die. I find my salvation not in my life story, but only in the story of Jesus Christ. Amen.